it's time once again to get onto the Mando train. As Team Godfather are here to bring you episode four, chapter 12 of The Mandalorian, The Siege. And I'm Carl, and with me, as always, is the cane to my Daniel Bryan. It's <laughs> Scott McLeod. Uh, a bit of background, everybody. Carl messaged me saying he had a, quite a bad intro for the show today. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll prepare myself. But even I wasn't prepared for that. Good lord. <laughs> Told you it was bad. <laughs> I clearly did not brace myself well enough uh, for this, but yeah, anything that compare that gets me in the same sentence as Kane, uh, that works for me because uh, even though it's not, it's technically not going to come out till after this. I recorded a podcast for ESSR about Impact, uh, former Impact World Champions, and uh, everybody on the show has been compared but to the by the host to somebody from Impact, and I got Lacey Von Eric. So <laughs> this is definitely this is definitely an upgrade from that. Oh, 100%, 100%. Kane is an all-time legend, as we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a book that's two-thirds good. Uh, that might be Mayor Kane, which I lent to Paul more than a, a year and a half ago, and he's only just now getting around to reading it. <laughs> hey, when you do that, you lend someone a, a DVD or a, a game. Have you played it yet? Oh, no, no. But you, you've had it like six months. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I gave it to him pre-pandemic. That's how long he's had it. <laughs> Christ. That seems like forever ago. That does. Hey, fucking Tuesday seems forever ago to me. Uh, <laughs> nowadays. Remember when we didn't have to wear masks? Those were the, de- those were the days. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the one thing that didn't change with me. I was always wearing some sort of mask. Oh, God, I've revealed too much. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Uh, episode four of season two, the siege. Quite a. It's it's quite an interesting episode actually. It brings brings up some interesting developments and questions. I think which we can discuss once I've uh, briefly gonna well as briefly as I can go over the synopsis of the episode. Yeah, uh, you fire away with that because uh, my main take from this episode, it's not as long as some other ones we're going to talk about this season, but with the exception to episodes that we talked about, like The Prisoner or The Passenger, it packs a lot in, which really is kind of relevant to the series, or at least uh, gives you kind of an intriguing question we can talk about on a show like this. Yeah, definitely. So the episode opens with uh, Mando trying to get Grogu to help him fix something on the ship. He's uh, down with a little uh, vent or something, and Mando's trying to get him to switch some wires around without getting them to touch. And, of course, you can guess what happens. Uh, Grogu crosses the wires, and he gives himself a bit of an electric shock. But fear not, fans, he's, he's all right. Um, Mando decides to go back to Navarro uh, to get some repairs done to his ship, which has still been held together by what looks like to be string from the previous episode. And uh, we also see uh, Cara Dune take out some bandits, I think. 
they must be and she befriends a little furry creature as she starts collecting their the stuff they've stolen says but i've got to get back these back to uh the original owners so uh we get um Manda landing in the uh on the planet he's greeted by uh Grief Karga and um Cara June and they uh set off back to the old I think I think uh, it's meant to be the old bar that they sort of blew up and they've now rebuilt it and turned it into a school which is uh, pretty cool they leave um Grogu there well they go on a bit of a mission and that mission is to go and take out an old imperial base that is still being used for something, but they're not too sure what it is. And also joining them on this quest is a character from the first episode. I haven't got his name, but he was seen as um, Mandal- the Mandalorian's first on-screen bounty. He be carbon freezed at the, the start of the very first episode. And he's now working off his... Um, credit and what he owes uh, by working for free for Grief Cargo. And he drives them up to this base where they sort of keep bribing him by letting him take more time off uh, his sentence and Finley Veiled threats to make the Blue Guild creature help help them in in their quest. So while storming this um, base, if I know it's not actually a base, but it's uh, it's a lab being used for some uh, quite dodgy looking stuff, and it's also full of scientists and stormtroopers. So whatever's going on there, it's well guarded. We see a transmission they find from Doctor Pershing talking about uh, harvesting blood. From donors and blood transfusions and volunteers rejecting the transfusions. And this report is made to Moff Gideon, who up to now, uh, Mando and his friends thought were dead. But it's confirmed that the transmission was made three days ago. Mm. So anyway, Mando here in his news decided best gets back to... Uh, Grogu and he flies off with his jetpack as the others make their mistake, uh, mistake, make their <laughs> escape, uh, pursued by uh, quite a few stormtroopers actually. Um, they managed to get away in an armored vehicle. Uh, the stormtroopers and Imperials chase them with speeders and TIE fighters. Uh, but thanks to the Mandalorian saving the day in his newly refurbished and repaired Razor Crest, they fight them off. Uh, Mandalorian decides to go, carry on on his journey um, to find um, Ahsoka Tano, which uh, we will see in the next episode. So that's something to look forward to. At the end, we see an officer from... Um, what, what, what do we actually call the good guys? I think we just call them the New Republic. Yeah, from the New Republic. Uh, questioning Group Cargo about what happened, who bends the truth. He um, also talks to um, Cara June, who uh, tries to recruit, but she isn't interested. But the most interesting development is right at the end, where we see like a 
sort of a not quite a star destroyer, but something similar, something similar to one. Um, and on there, we see um, an imperial officer talking to one of the mechanics that worked on the Razor Crest, asking if he's planted the tracking device, and he confirms he has done. Uh, she goes and makes this report to Moff Gideon, who's standing in a room lined with some uh, very uh, ominous-looking robots, which we'll find out very soon to be dark troopers. And mm-hmm. um, that pretty much ends the episode on on that sort of reveal. So it's a very, it's a very, yeah, as you say, very compact episode that really does pack a lot in. Yeah. I didn't realise, like, I remember I, I talked about in the last episode how Ahsoka, no, Ahsoka, uh, Bo-Katan is uh, questioning that officer on the ship they hijacked uh, about Moff Gideon, but she didn't say his name, so Mando is still under the assumption that he's he's dead. I didn't realise it was in the very next episode that we find out that he is still alive, and you know, it's nice how they, they, they did this whole thing, the idea of the, uh, this guy being secretly a spy for the Empire, or what's left of the Empire, and will turn to the First Order, because you know they just ca- they just like keep a shot on his face after Mando and Gargano walk away from the ship, and it just hangs on him a bit long. You're you're starting to question what's going on, and then it's that same same guy that pops up later on. So you know they didn't need to beat you over the head the fact that he's secretly they didn't have to show you him putting the tracking device to know that he's involved with them. He's just. You know, subtle little ways of showing you what's going on, and I think what sets us apart from I said, what we said before some of the other filler episodes is that much like uh, episode four of the previous season, where you know, it's contained Mando goes to a planet for a mission before uh, carrying on, is that at the end of it, you're once again reminded of the real overall danger and the overall threat to both him and the child. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, that that lingering shot, and that one mechanic, sort of lets you know that. He's definitely up to something, and uh, yeah, some really sort of interesting stuff that. Because um, I, I kind of forgot that happened actually, so um, it's good to rewatch these things to sort of remind yourselves of um, what um, what's going on. I, I find it sort of easier to remember a little bit of information like that when you can sort of binge watch it in quick succession rather than waiting uh, for a week or whatever for the next episode yeah I, I was happy to see like likes of Grief Carga and Cardin back again you know they're big parts of season one and so it's good to see them again you know, I was surprised just how big a part Carl Werther's character Grief Carga is in this episode because uh, he actually also directs the episodes this Carl Werther's and, you know, I, I looked up uh, his IMDb to see if he'd done much of the directing, mostly just the odd episode of TV shows that he's more likely in. Uh, I was surprised because, like, once Mando goes off to make sure the child's okay, once he knows Moff Gideon's still alive, there's a big chunk where it's just focusing on the, uh, I don't want to say secondary characters, because, you know, Mando's a title character, so these are kind of supporting characters in the overall story. But it focuses on them for quite a while before the Razor Crest comes back in. And so Greek Cargo's on screen for quite a while, which uh, is surprising because every one of the people that are shown is is directing it because usually, you know, sometimes uh, actors uh, are on a show that they're also directing an episode of, they take themselves off screen for bits of it, like uh, Kelsey Grammer 
directed like over thirty episodes of Fraser, but in the first ever episode he he uh, directed in season three, he took he wrote himself out of it so that he could focus on the behind the scenes and could focus on the other characters and that story of that episode. But you know, I think part of that's because you know all these episodes are written by John Favreau, technically John Favreau's you know baby, so Gargus basically already knows what the what they want of it. And so he's also able to be on screen while also directing everybody else. Yeah, I mean, he, as you say, he's got quite a lot of screen time considering he's also directing. So who says men can't multitask? <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, last time we saw him was in the finale of, of season one. And he's talking about, you know, restoring Navarro and, you know, now being free from the Empire. And you know, he implies that, you know, like we said, that he's not fully a good guy, you know, by saying he wants to bring back the Binding Arrows, but yet it's still so much different from from that when we see it, because now it's more wholesome place. You know, they've turned that whole former bar where all these Binding Hunters would get their, their jobs into a school. So, you know, there's all these changes. You know, they refer to him as Magistrate Karga, so he's, he's got some authority in the town, and Cardin's now the marshal of uh, this particular area. So, you know, it's interesting to see how much has changed since Mando, you know, was last there. And that, uh, the guy that from uh, the first episode, I thought it was interesting. I forgot he came back. Yes, same here, actually. It was, uh, he's quite a funny character. So it was nice to see him again, actually. Yeah, uh, he's credited just as Mithril, uh, which I'm not sure if that's his name or if that's just like, the species that he's meant to be. But, you know, I thought it was interesting when they showed that flashback from uh, episode one, you know, Amanda says, I can bring you in warm, I can bring you in cold, and it shows him, you know, getting frozen carbonate. And, you know, that's it does this occasionally, it does Mando, where it'll show you at the start, not just flashbacks from the episodes, like, one or two before that you may have already watched, but, like, one from, like, a season ago. That's when you sit up and say, oh, something that something I wasn't paying attention to before could come back and, you know, pay off in this episode or something intriguing is going to happen. And also, I remember the first time watching this, uh, I thought, like, when I was watching it weekly, I thought he was going to get killed. I thought, like, he was going to, like, the red shirts and then Star Trek, you know, that he was just going to be the one that gets killed off out of the four. But, you know, they all survive and, yeah, like, 350 years that he's got to work off because he's, he, apparently, they, we learned the reason why Mando was hunting him was, you know, he used to work for Greek Karga and uh, he got involved in what Greek Karga describes as a bit of creative accounting. In other words, he stole some money and liked it. <laughs> but uh, must be but yeah, must be quite a bit of his three hundred and fifty years worth of debt they have to work off. Uh, yeah, yeah, you'd imagine so. But uh, yeah, it's uh, but he's such a fun character with some sort of funny lines and uh, always complaining. As you say, Scott, I, I was waiting for him to be killed as well. So, <laughs> and maybe that was the point. Maybe it was like. To, subvert expectations, you know, we'll bring this character in because people think he's going to get killed off, but we'll actually surprise everyone by uh, keeping him alive. And it's quite a fun moment in the school with Grogu when he's trying to get like a, a blue light biscuity thing off yeah. another student and they refuse to give it to him so he uses his false powers to steal them. Uh, he's always hungry. I mean, <laughs> Yoda was never eating all this all the time. <laughs> I know, you know, like but he's, Yoda like, wasn't that much taller than Grogu, but you know, if you want to get 
you know, be a bigger, like, whatever BBC <laughs> is. You know, you got to get your strength, so I've got to keep eating. And, yeah, they look like you kind of, like, have you ever seen him play somewhere like a Marks and Spencer's in the UK, like these multicolored, like, macaroon biscuits that they sell? It's kind of like that, but it's, you know, blue. That's basically the best way I can describe it. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good explanation for what it is. Look, look disgusting. I hate, I hate blue food and blue drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually funny because I was watching an episode of, of Always Sunny in Philadelphia the other day from one of the later seasons, Daddy Vito's character, they're in this fancy restaurant. And he keeps asking, where, do you have any blue on the menu? I'm like, why do you keep asking about blue? All the best stuff is tasting stuff's blue. So, you know, <laughs> DeVito, probably this is probably his favourite moment and all of the Mandalorian if he is a fan, which I'm sure he is. <laughs> I mean, who isn't? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, obviously uh, a lot of hardcore Star Wars fans, you know, look back on the prequels not so fondly. But there are times where you see, and even in the sequel trilogy or here, where you get little references to it, like uh, uh, Mayfeld uh, once uh, speculating that uh, Mando's secretly a gunkin, or you know, that pod racer, you know, thing that was that uh, Cobb Vance, I almost forgot his name, was right in episode one. But uh, this, when they, you see that scientist talking, he said, We're not going to find anybody with a higher M count than the previous no, subject, obviously, the, talking about the child. And also, M is going to stand for Medichlorians, which, you know, uh, was made to describe, you know, the, way, the ways that people have the force and everything, the strength and young Jedi's or something like that. So there's another reference to that. So obviously, Grogu for someone so small, it's clearly very strong with the force, as we we soon learn. And clearly, they want somebody as strong as him for whatever experiment as they're doing, which is why he was so so valuable. You know, it goes back to what. Uh, to what Moff Gideon was saying, you know, like you may have some idea of what you're in possession of, but you don't. Yeah. Uh, during this experiment, is something to, to meant to be with uh, Snoke from the uh, the new sequel movies? Then his yeah. his creation. It seems like because we see these pods almost when mm. they where it's a lab and the, the the shape of what's in there looks very similar to. So like a lot of people are very clo- quick to point out and we do learn in, uh, in episode 9 that uh, Snoke was wasn't really really with his creation you know, used to you know what, and yeah, another like manipulation by the Emperor to help get Kylo Ren to where he needed to be to then bring Rey to him so you know like I said before you know the Emperor you know, the master of the long con so he is and this is just another, another step in that on the uh, that ship when uh, one of the officers gets the message from uh, the spy who said he'd, he planted the tracking ship, tracker on Mando's ship, uh, he says you'll be rewarded in the new era. Obviously, the new era they're referring to is what would come at the start of uh, Episode 7 because, you know, the rebels have went from the New Republic to then being kind of rebels again because at some point this new version of the Empire, the First Order, has taken over and obviously they're in the, the slow stages of trying to rebuild it, so you gotta wonder what the likes of Moff Gideon really know about the overall plan for like developing someone like a supreme leader Snoke. Yeah, I mean, it, it might be the fact that Moff Gideon is working directly under um, Darth Sidious um, because, like, the first Oz didn't really know that Darth Sidious was alive until he contacted um, Kylo. 
Kylo Ren mm-hmm. it's sometime probably just before episode nine starts because he's on this journey and he, he sort of revealed himself to him. So it might be that he's Moff Gideon's on a different section completely to the other Imperials that c- completed the, the First Order, but that's just <laughs> left for us to sort of speculate at the moment. But if they're, if they're trying to clone or grow this um, Snoke character and you need, obviously need the blood from a force user to give him false pat, you know, to give this creation false powers, you think if he, mu- he must know about what's going on so it, it sort of says to me that he's perhaps, maybe he's perhaps working directly under Darth Sidious uh, yeah. but I could be wrong, it could be something else completely. Yeah, because like, we, we questioned before about the the rank of, of Moff Gideon, he's you know there, there's the rank of like, Moff and then Grand Moff and people over. So we've not really seen. He's just the main antagonist we've seen so far. I think we're gonna get. I think the uh, New Republic, if that's true, is we're gonna happen. A uh, Booker Boba Fett and Ahsoka and this are all gonna be happening kind of at the same time. So I think across this with Gideon and maybe a little bit in that New Republic show, we see. A little hints as to like a preview of how the First Order, the origins of that, come to be. So we'll learn if there's anybody out there higher ranking than than uh, Moff Gideon, and who knows that Palpatine's alive, who doesn't know, and who's just telling who to do what. Because you know Gideon seems very high up. You know the fact he's wielding a, a basically a lightsaber, you know the dark saber, and you know that he's allowed to do that. You know if Sidious. Uh, knew, knows that he has that, then I don't know if he would do anything about it. Uh, if he would feel threatened, but and yes, Snoke, we never actually see him in the movies uh, use any force. He's always sitting in some sort of throne, very similar to the Emperor. But you got to think he's involved in the training of Kylo Ren, so you got to think he had some sort of force abilities or some knowledge of the force to pass on to to Kylo Ren. Yeah, um, but to Muff Gideon, I think the the way he s- seems to conduct himself and he, the sort of orders he gives, um, it doesn't feel like there's too many people above him in the chain of command. Again, it's just speculation and I could be wrong, but yeah, I can only imagine there's maybe one or two people above him giving, giving him orders. I, I can't believe there's, there's too many people above him for what, what he knows and, and what he's taking part in, especially. Yeah, because like, obviously the thing is it's still growing. It's this what would become the first order because, you know, by the time we get to we get to the sequel trilogy, you've got people like, you know, General Hux and all these other people. So, you know, again, it's one of the things you kind of have to wait and see. It's funny to speculate about, but we don't really have any answers. No, I mean, we know Admiral Thrawn's been mentioned, um, mm. or he will be mentioned anyway in the next episode. <laughs> and he's uh, he's very high up. So um, we, he could be um, he could be over he could be over Muff Gideon perhaps or uh-huh. again he could be a different he could be a different section altogether. He's not in any other movie, so I'm assuming something happens to him if he's still, if he is still alive before before we get to the uh, sequel movies. Yeah, so it's also it's it's good to now now know like I said that he's still alive and Mandel kind of rushes away and. You know, this uh, scene, uh, the whole sequence of them well, going to the base is a lot of fun, I think. Cause, you know, 
you got this, the scene where uh, Mando just throws a stormtrooper off the ledge because <laughs> they thought it was like abandoned, but now there's clearly more troopers there than they than they realized. And then also there they've got this whole thing where they say, okay, we've got to lower the kind of the, the temperature here because there's lava under here, and then that will start cause it to be unstable. And then within ten minutes, this whole place is gonna blow up. And then they're on a timer, and whenever they get like cornered by troopers shooting them, you're aware of the fact that they said they've only got a certain amount of time to get here, so that's meant to ramp up the tension of the episode and then um, try to find a way out. Also, look at the audio that Stormtroopers saying, there they are, blast them. I'm pretty sure that's a very same line they used in one of the original movies. I can't remember which one, though. Yeah, and again, like the reactor thing he has to activate is on like a, a weird ledge thing with a, a massive drop. I mean, what was it about the Empire and little ledges with no guardrails? I mean, <laughs> they couldn't have had a very good health and safety system. They really couldn't, Marge. <laughs> I know. I mean, I think trying to start a union in the Empire is, is more difficult than trying to start a union in a wrestling company like WWE. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it reminds me of the uh, the scene in there when Family Guy did the, the three parodies of the, the three original movies. Yeah. The one in Blue Harvest uh, the, when they did the New Hope, where you got the two guys on that that platform right next to where the uh, the laser shooting through and the Death Star, and you got the two stormtroopers talking like, "I just said so. Forget health insurance. I just want a ledge right here." You know, we could. Well, what did they say? They said they were worried we'd be leading all day. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, the, the amount the amount of officers and workers they must have lost to plummet into their deaths. I mean, surely it's more economical to put a few guardrails up here and there. Yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes you've got to protect these guys from themselves because we've learned that stormtroopers aren't the most competent. As we learn from uh, the chase scene, when uh, they get into this uh, transport thing to uh, get away from the driver right off the ledge, Everything like crushing poor Mithril's uh, speeder, and uh, you know, and the stormtroopers get on these like speeders, right? And one of them kind of loses, but he knocks into a a baroque. But as he's going down, he knocks into another stormtrooper and takes him out at the same time. <laughs> and it's just, it's just so matter of factly, it just happens just out of nowhere. And like, what the fuck? Like, what kind of idiots are they just employing anybody nowadays in the Empire? Anyone they can get their hands on? Are the Stormtroopers clones of the Chuckle Brothers or something? Are they? <laughs> <laughs> they really are hopeless. If anybody wants to uh, take audio of the Stormtroopers uh, firing on somebody oh, and dub over with a uh, to me, to you, then uh, feel free. <laughs> That'd be genius. Oh, I'm definitely definitely have to play out play a site with the Chuckle Vision song now, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I? I like to think that we've got more an international audience because I know most of the people involved in Rogue Paints are from the UK, but we've got likes of you know that American that we don't hear from much from anymore. But we've got I like to think we have some more international or American listeners. Who I'm sorry if you're lost. We just Google Chuckle Vision, you know, it's a weird UK thing, though. There's a lot of things about American TV that I don't understand, so let's have this one. Exactly. <laughs> they, they were comedy legends back in the day. It's, uh, is it Paul Chuckle that's still alive and Barry that, that passed away? I think it's Barry that passed away, sadly. Yeah. But. No, on a more lighthearted. No, I don't, didn't mean to bring us down there. We mentioned that one of them had passed, but 
something uh, you mentioned about Caradun earlier on. Uh, we'll get back to the the scene with them chasing because uh, there's a lot of stuff I like about that, like the action in that scene. But Caradun, when she takes out those bandits and sees what's basically kind of a almost a ferret, maybe squirrel-esque like creature, which didn't, which wasn't obviously a puppet at all, especially when you look at its eyes, but. <laughs> like some sort of weird Jim Henson creation, but you know, to see like the it takes back these artifacts that was stolen. But you know, the the area where she brings it, that's the that's the where the armor we last saw down there, where the old Mandalorians were hiding. So again, I know I've gone on this a couple of times, but you know, also the armor has disappeared. These other Mandalorians have scattered, and so also their lairs kind of been taken over by these bandits. And so it makes you wonder where the Mandalorians went and everything. Yeah, it does. I mean, there must be some more uh, out there somewhere. And hopefully maybe in season three that'll be uh, investigated and touched upon. And we'll uh, get to meet some uh, other Mandalorians that escaped. Um, whatever tragedy hit them during season one. Yeah, so I'd like to see where, where that goes. But, you know, it was interesting, you know, getting to see where, what Cardin's been up to now. Because uh, it is, I think, like, like, like I said, like, the Mando, they've set up three different shows across the second season, and they do it in, like, such a, a good way. But, like, what, I think the moment, especially at the end with Cardin and that, uh, and Carson Teva, I believe, he, if I remember it rightly, you know, he's one of the pilots we saw in the uh, Passenger episode, you know, the one not played by Dave Filoni. Uh, where they kind of talk about Alderaan and that being where she was from, everything, which I think was then meant to further set up for that new Republic show. But now, Phoenix Rao is not good. Yeah, yet. I can't, I can't wait for the Cara Dune led. Uh, pro- uh, <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's why I keep saying I keep referencing it if it's still happening because I don't think anybody other than that guy, Carson Davis, is credited as being involved in it. I don't know if there's a show there's no indication of a showrunner attached, you know. Book of Boba Fett, you know, Ahsoka, all these other ones all have people attached. Even even the Taika Waititi Star Wars film that's coming in the next couple of years, which is this title at the moment, Taika Waititi Star Wars film, has more information out about it than this show. <laughs> there's also <laughs> the directions you could go with it. I mean you'd kind of have to go out say the big players, you know, because we know that Luke and Leia were somehow involved in together, no problem, but you can't really, unless you want to do a CGI Mark Hamill for extended period of time, which I don't think you have the budget for, and obviously Carrie Fisher has, has passed away and everything, so I don't know what they're going to do with that. No, that sounds interesting, but yeah, I don't know, I think the show might be dead in the water without um, Gia Carrera's presence, being she was being built up to to her, you know, to sort of lead her own show, but uh, time will tell. You never know; they might they might come up with a, a different idea or introduce a character in season three, which they can spin off in, into something instead. We'll just have to see. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how well they've done with, um, as you say, setting up these other shows like uh, the Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka without doing any damage or uh, watering down the actual Mandalorian show. If you take Spider-Man, uh, the Spider-Man, um, the Amazing Spider-Man 
two. Um, yeah, Andrew Garfield led one, but they were trying to uh, make set up for uh, like a Sinister Six spin-off. They spent so much time in the movie working towards these spin-offs that they forgot about the actual movie they were making and the movie ended up being quite piss poor so it, it is easy um, when you're trying to set up other things to make a, a hash of uh, the actual program or film you're trying to make so it's mm-hmm. great credit it's great credit to the team that they, they pull everything off uh, remarkably well yeah I don't know if I've mentioned it before but I mentioned it, like the idea of the, the backdoor pilot I think it's referred to sometimes as where sometimes the whole episode is dedicated to it, like uh, one of the last episodes of The Office was dedicated to a spin-off which never got picked up, which is called The Farm or something like that. Uh, uh, they, they did it in one of the last seasons of Arrow, I think that was more successful in getting that uh, new series picked up, because obviously Theodore is not getting involved in it anymore. And yet they managed to do three, like the most obvious one being the Ahsoka episode, but they do it in a way, you know, that services the way that like, she's a Jedi, Mando was great, needs to get her needs to get uh, the child to a Jedi, and then that sets them on their path, which leads to what happens with Grogu in the finale, so it doesn't take away from anything, and also there's already a backstory with Ahsoka's time as part of Clone Wars or uh, Rebels, and then what they're going to continue on with her later on, and you know, with Boba Fett, what they can do with him, you know, there's already so much stuff in the they have expanded universe, you know, with no, graphic novels and books and all sorts about him that they can do and yeah, I don't know what the what the Republicans going to do, but you know, getting back to the actual episode, things are happening, and cause I don't know how else to get back to it. But the actual action scene, you know, where uh, one of the two of the only smart stormtroopers, you know, trying to go over in the side of uh, the transport, but they managed to like squash them, and then uh, the Tie Fighters end up coming in. And you know, I'll never get tired of hearing that that noise that the Tie Fighters make as they're soaring through the air. Yeah, uh, it's brilliant, isn't it? I love Tie Fighters. <laughs> there are certain like iconic noises you associate with certain franchises, especially Star Wars. I think there's that. Also, Darth Vader's breathing the sound of a lightsaber, you know, opening or things like that. And uh, unfortunately, Kukaga shooting it causes the one that he shoots to kind of. And a big ball of flames. I end up hitting the transport, which takes out their only weapon when there's still three TIE fighters on them. And then Mando also comes in on the Razor Crest. And why I like this rather than, you know, the bit where the X Wing pilots just manage to save Mando right at the right moment from the spiders is because, you know, I was I was assuming that they were going to cut to Mando, you know, going for Grogu and maybe somebody else, like that guy at the uh, who was working on his ship. You know, confronts him, tries to get the child off him or something like that. But, you know, you don't see Mando for quite a while. And so I think it's the longest an episode you've went without seeing Mando on screen. And uh, it's just you're waiting on, you don't know what's happened with him. Has he got the child? Is he everything okay? And then he comes in at the last minute and we see that the child's on board the ship. We're still with the biscuits, by the way. Yeah. And so obviously you're just they learn to think like what's happening with Mando? Is he gonna be okay? Are these guys gonna get away from the TIE fighters okay? And then they say like, Oh like not only is Mando okay, but now he's here at the right moment to save the day rather than like we said before, these X Plane pilots, why would they bother searching for Mando so much when they've got this whole ice fly to look for him and you know, his his ship's already a you know, a real piece of shit really. Yeah, it's quite similar to the the scene in uh, A New Hope where you see Vader and his TIE fighter lock onto to Luke's 
um, star uh, starship thing um, when um, Hans X Wing. That's it. When um, Han Solo turns up just in time to to save him, and that's pretty much how this plays out. You see the X Wing sort of lock on to whatever this. It's like an armored vehicle type thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, locked onto it, and just as it locks on, yeah, Mando in the Razor Crest shows up to save the day to to blast them out the sky, as you say, with Grogu in tow. So it's uh, it's a clever scene, and you know, and you know, Mando was all always there, and he's it makes sense that he's going to go back to to see if his buddies need help. So it makes a lot more sense than the one on the episode two when those guys just re-show up out of nowhere <laughs> to, to save yeah. him from the spiders. Yeah, totally. And uh, that was a really good comparison to make actually uh, uh although I had to come in and like like Mando or like I had to swoop out last night and save you from someone on Twitter correcting you. But the X I didn't do it if somebody else would have I completely forgot. My mind went blank. <laughs> <laughs> old, old age for you, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, I do love uh, you go from this like like really tense scene. Then you know, the Mando swoops in, and then you got the tail does there uh, as they're leaving, and the tail kind of peeks all that blue up on himself, and then you go right back to sinister with you know knowing that not only does Moff Gideon you know now can track where they're going, but now you're getting wee hints as to what you know is. is overall plan is and what else he's working on and like you said yeah we've got the first look kind of look at, kind of look at the dark troopers yeah they're, they're really badass it kind of when you see them in action it kind of makes you wonder what happened to them because they, they're not in any of the sequel films are they so uh, and they look a, and, and from what we see of them I don't want to spoil anything but they, they look a lot more um they look a lot more useful than actual stormtroopers. So whether they malfunctioned or they only made limited stock, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there weren't that many Jedi left when about the time the sequel trilogy came in because they know that uh, they're not that much cut against Jedi, I don't think. But uh, so who knows what happened uh, with the dark troopers? Uh, but uh, I do have something I could say about the dark troopers that I'll probably save until a couple of episodes thing when we see them in action. Mm. But, yeah, like I said, like, uh, it's nice to see these kind of characters from Season 1 back again. Uh, I, we see Cara Dune again in Season I don't think we actually see Greek Karga again for the rest of the series, which is kind of sad. Yeah, no, I think this is the last episode he appears in, whether he'll make another appearance in... Uh... Season three, uh, we'll have to wait and see. I hope he does. He's a he's a good character. Yeah, because I think I think either whether or not Dina Carano got, uh, you know, kind of let go because of the whole controversy, she wasn't going to be around in, in Mandalorian uh, for quite long. I don't know if Grief Cargo was planned to be part of this uh, new public thing, or maybe he'll pop up more Mando episodes if Mando uh, comes back to Navarro. Because Mando's going to need new kind of secondary kind of characters to work off going into the third season, and it'll be interesting to see who they get, you know, for that. You know, I mean, it depends also if Carl Carl Weathers, you know, uh, wants to come back for it. Because you can tell, even between season one and two, he's now noticeably kind of older. Uh, is it no? Am I not correct in saying that he was kind of winding down his career before he got this role in Mando line? 
Yeah, um, I think in, in an interview in like the behind the scenes programs they've got there on the Disney Plus, which uh, I've already said, but I'll say again, well worth checking out. Uh, I think it's pretty much in retirement, and they sort of talked him into. Uh, coming back and starring on the uh, and starring on it, I think once he saw the scripts, that sort of convinced him uh, to take part. Yeah, so you know he could definitely add more to you know, especially if they do that new Republic series because you know he said in this episode, you know, he just wishes the Republic new Republic would leave Navarro alone because you know it's a, a planet on the Outer Rim and you know the phrase the Outer Rim was used a lot in like the prequels and stuff like that. So the Empire can, you know, you know, stop Navarro or something like that. You know, the Empire can like take over Navarro. What makes you think they can, you know, make things okay? But you know, he he has a lot to offer. You know, he clearly cares about East Plan. I know, like, he was really stressed like he wanted to take out this Imperial base, even when they thought it was just like an old base that had been left or you know, abandoned. You know, I get this before you know anybody else. You know, any bandits or anything like that take over, so that Navarro can finally be be free. So you know, I wouldn't. It would be a shame if we didn't get to see any more of him. Yeah, it would be, and it does it. It does explain uh, why there was such a big uh, imperial sort of uh, presence on Navarro now with that uh, with that lab and everything mm-hmm. they were doing there. They obviously thought being on the outer rim was out of the way enough for them to conduct, you know conduct these experiments and without anyone finding out. Yeah, because. Uh, there was a different facility where Mando finds the chair, but then we also know there was a bigger place elsewhere. Because, like, you see so many troopers, and obviously, you gotta think where the hell these guys all come from. Obviously, it probably brought more to the planet after Mando, you know, caused that whole fuss and then leaves with the child. And then they say more troopers came in, but then obviously, they all got to like have a base to go to, so also they had they were using this place, so you know, fills in those little details now where they got that. Like the, where they got the weapons that they were storing, like when they used that, uh, I forgot the name of it, but then that weapon that, you know, Bothgain kind of blew up and Mando nearly died. And they were talking about, you know, the power of the weapon that had been used on mm. places like Mandalore and places like that. I remember, I can't, I can't remember what it was called either. <laughs> E-Wave, I think it was. That was it, yeah. That's yeah, a, in my head. That sounds uh, about right. Something like that, it was one of those lines. Mm. I'm sure somebody will correct me. But yeah, overall, uh, overall, a really strong episode. But I couldn't. It was weird. I couldn't remember a lot about it. And I think this episode's biggest problem is the fact that it's sandwiched between two great episodes. This is a very good episode. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunately uh, for for it is uh, sandwiched between two great episodes that bring back. Uh, some really sort of liked and well-known characters from uh, the Clone Wars. So I don't think anything about the episode itself lets it down. I think it's just unfortunate with, with its placement. Yeah, because like, when I'm trying to think of what I'm going to rate this episode, I, I can't find anything really to default it on. You know, plot-wise, it's kind of like... Dean again to get in a Sarah Paris, you because know, the ship's still damaged even after he left it with that guy uh, on Trask in episode three. But and he's like they got a simple mission that it like gives you a little hints to future things, not just in the show but in the overall franchise. So plot wise and everything and the action scenes and everything, there's nothing to really fault it on. But then you know 
like it's there's still better episodes than it. So it's really weird because like it wouldn't. I don't think it'd be fair to rate it again compared to other episodes because on its own, even though it's unfortunately placed, it's still a strong episode. Yeah, definitely. I'm. I'm thinking I'd probably give it a nine out of ten because, as you say, there's there's not a lot wrong with it. It's it's not super memorable, perhaps, or at least for an old fart like me. But yeah, as you say, it's it's definitely a strong episode. It's just unfortunate for the ep- that episode that there's especially the one straight after it. It's really really good. Yeah, I think the highest I could go is a nine. I think that's what I'll give it because, like, even then, I think seven, eight, or nine is either of those are still a strong uh, rating for it and doesn't like criticize it all by missing out on those couple of uh, points. Because, uh, like, the thing that starts with being a 10 out of 10, I think, is to have one be a 10 out of 10, like, when you first watched it, you know, it's been an episode that something about it really blew you away or really hooked you in. And while it's an interesting, like, contained story for that episode, there's not something like the last episode or the next episode, or even the finale, that really hooked me in and made me sit up and take it, take notice. But it was a solid episode on its own. Yeah, it really, really is. And talking about great episodes, I, I can't wait to watch and review next week's. I really can't. Yeah, I think we've already talked a lot about Ahsoka. Uh, there's a character kind of um, so there's more we can talk about I'll, I've got more details about her backstory that we'll talk about mm. a bit more for those who still aren't aware uh, so and uh, I'm not going to say anything if you're still, still not aware about Ahsoka but you know, you know tune in to the next episode I'll, let, I'll, I'll catch you at the speech you know I'll, I'll be there I'll do that for you I'm a nice guy <laughs> <laughs> but you know I think uh, it's got to take the episode as a whole you know I don't think we can say more about what's going to happen in this future because I think we've already talked about that quite a bit but getting to actually see her in action you know as close to seeing our traditional Star Wars you know, kind of character in terms of like being a Jedi which you don't actually get in this series which is what sets it apart it's something I'm really excited to talk about yes yeah same here and uh the first time i watched it i wasn't too familiar with ahsoka tano i'd 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 heard the name banded around a little bit but it wasn't until after the episode well until after i finished the um second series of the mandalorian that i went back and watched the clone wars properly Mm -hmm. and understood more about these sort of characters that they brought back like uh Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tano as this again, which I will talk more about when we do next week's episode, so I'll leave it there. Yeah, because like, I knew who Ahsoka was. I'd seen the Clone Wars movie. I actually went to cinemas to see the movie. Uh, didn't realise they were setting up for a, a TV show. But uh, I heard there was a TV show. I'd heard that fan sentiment towards her has gotten better over the years. I'd only seen bits and pieces online about the Clone Wars, and I knew Darth Maul came back and things like that. And I'd heard good things about the portrayal of Anakin in it. But yeah, like, I'd, I wasn't until I got Dizzy Bust that I properly like, sat down and watched Clone Wars and saw her progression as a character. So, you know, that helped, you know, increase my excitement. Even, like, even without having to sit down and properly watch the Clone Wars, I'd, I'd still know who she was because I saw the movie. So I was still excited to see her. But, you know, I'll, I'll look forward to talking about her character next week. Definitely. And I think we can uh, 
do our plugs now. Uh, shall we? Do you want to go first, or shall I go first? Oh, yeah, you're 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 there. Are illustrious so this week? You you go ahead. Be my guest. Okay, so uh, you can catch me on um, Twitter under Carlos underscore Fire eighty, and on Instagram as well. You can find us at Rogue underscore Opinions on Twitter and Instagram. Um, rogueopinions.wordpress.com on our website where we uh, post articles every now and then and you can find our podcast on all good podcasting platforms I do and uh, one with Liam where we talk about uh, villains from various degrees of pop culture comic books um, film, TV we've got one out um, on Primal Fear, the main antagonist of uh, of that, played by Edward Norton. So that's definitely worth a listen. Uh, there's the band of Munich pod out, even though we cancelled it. Uh, but we're not talking about the league. We're talking about our team of the year. And there might be future specials rather than doing a weekly um, football recap. So just to shake things up a bit. But I wasn't on this one, but it's well worth a listen. And definitely check out our second anniversary <laughs> pod awards, um, I mean, Rug Opinion Awards pod, uh, for a special message of Scott and Mind's hero and inspiration, Charles White, the godfather himself. Oh, and if hearing the uh, the Godfather saying the words rogue opinions, like the words coming out of his mouth is just something I'll never forget, honestly. Uh, I, I would definitely agree with that sentiment. You know, go check out our show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scott McLeod 1996. Uh, I would also, uh, going to Carl's plug, uh, definitely I would also recommend Rogue Chronicles. I've been checked up on the non-Doctor Who related episodes because Doctor Who is not quite my thing but you know I, I misheard you I think last week because uh, I thought you said Kate Fear not Primal Fear cause that's, so I thought you were doing an episode on Robert De Niro's character from the film Kate Fear which is still an episode I think you guys should consider at some point but yeah hell of an episode that uh, Primal Fear and I've got the Joker episode downloaded I'm going to listen to it at some point I really enjoyed Primal Fear I even I remember after I watched it and so secondary school drama, I did a, a small thing where I had to play a schizophrenic, and so I basically copied Edward Norton's character. <laughs> or, or, or in the world of acting day, I make it sound better. I took inspiration from Edward Norton. <laughs> uh, before I could hear my plugs, uh, actually something I found out about the film shortly after watching it is, uh, yeah, I know you guys said that was Ed Norton's first uh, acting role. Apparently they, they went through so many people for his part. It took so long to find somebody for his role that, it, that Richard Gere almost like walked away from the film because it was taking so long to cast this part. You know, I just imagine Richard Gere like, come on guys, no, come on the fuck, I'm Richard Gere. I can do any movie I want. Probably not <laughs> those exact words, but you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. That's, that's a great film. If no one's seen Primal Fear, go watch it and you'll appreciate the, the episode of Rogue Chronicles even better because Richard Gere, especially in that film, you know, that and the film Internal Affairs, I don't know if anyone's seen it. Those are two films of your, think of kind of, you know, the pretty woman, you know, obviously a gentleman's sale of uh, Richard Gere. 
go watch those two films, uh, uh, Return of Fairs and Time of Fear, because you know they're you know films that gave you a different side to him as an actor. But but to my, to my plugs, sorry, uh, Rogue Retrospective interview has been a bit delayed in uh, the next episode, but me and uh, Sam are planning on getting together this weekend to record the next couple of episodes, and hopefully that uh, Rogue Trade and that uh, Retro Trade, sorry, will be carrying on. See, I've got trains in my head because I've been thinking about Godfather. Uh, <laughs> obviously, check out past episodes of the Mandalorian pod in your uh, catalog here. And on a good Android podcast, so you can find Rogue Opinions on the same platforms you can find Scott and Paul's Rowland podcast, where we talk about Impact and Fraser and all sorts whenever we can find the time to get together and record. Uh, also, you can find Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, uh, where this weekend, a new episode of the show I do there, East Meets West. Talking about New Japan Pro Wrestling, it uh, goes up talking about John Moxley defending a uh, New Japan title on Dynamite, some of the guys going to impact, while Osprey being injured, all sorts get talked about there. And something next week, a show I'm involved on, uh, talking about the best and the worst impact world champions of all time. And you can listen to a good 20 minutes of us, uh, especially me, ripping Jeff Jarrett a new arsehole for his screen <laughs> of dead as the NWA champion, honestly. It's a joy. To behold, and definitely also check out the good articles that likes of Carl and Anthony and other people have uh, have done for the Rogue Pines WordPress site. You know, a site that I always think of a good idea for start writing and then leave that document saved. I say I'll come back to that later. I've got at least a good three or four I article ideas that I've started that will someday be on that website. When <laughs> I don't know. I'm just as bad with things like that. I start things and then I have a run out of ideas or do start something else or just forget. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like I said, uh, anniversary awards as well. And uh, well, I think I can, last thing I can plug probably is uh, some time on next week, maybe Monday, uh, me and Nathan are getting together and we're going to record a review of uh, the film that brings Edge and Kelsey Grammer together. The uh, cinematic masterpiece known as Money Plane. The matter. What a film that looks to be. I might just have to check it out, actually, and then listen to your review. Because <laughs> I, I was just so intrigued by, as you say, Edge and Frasier on the same film. <laughs> and technically, the Punisher, because Thomas Jane's in it. And that's the main thing I remember him being in in that 2004 Punisher film, which I think is very underrated. Got Kevin Nash in it as a Russian. <laughs> he likes playing Russians. He played a Russian on uh, John Wick, <laughs> and also the theme, so the song, main song used in it is "Slow Chemical," which was Kane's theme song. <laughs> so, what is there not to love? You got John Travolta as a bad guy in it, you know, so he doesn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's all our plugs. You know, we've got so much to to plug, so much good content to offer you, fine people. Exactly, and it's all for free. I mean, <laughs> what more could you want? <laughs> uh, could the, only want f- yeah, the only thing you have to pay for is Liam's only fans. But <laughs> the less the less said about that, the better. We don't want to talk, people don't want to hear about that. They want to hear about all the great free content that they get to listen to our rugged things. And you know why, Carl? Why is that? Because this is the way. And don't forget, everybody, that podding ain't easy.